in Psalm 73, and I, I'll be brief. I tried to be brief this morning. I'll try to mind your time again. Uh, but uh, Psalm 73, I, I try to preach this. If I'm preaching to a new church, I, I've learned a long time ago that something that helps me and helps our people helps people everywhere. Uh, people in South Carolina are no different than Texas or Florida or New England or wherever. People are people. And uh, I just want to be a blessing to you this morning and be a help to you. Uh, Brother Joel, I just got a text on my machine. Liberace called. He wants his coat back, please. Could you, could you take care of that? Um, just just kind of, you know, help me out there. Uh, and this dear lady here on the third row, if they ever run you out of South Carolina, come to Florida, all right? Uh, we could use you in our service. Yankees don't know how to say amen, all right? And so if you would help us with that, that would be a blessing. Psalm 73, what's the first uh, thing you read as you read Psalm 73? This is a psalm of Asaph. Now, if I asked you this question, I said, who is the great psalmist of Israel? You would say David. David is the psalmist of Israel. But Asaph was also a prolific psalm writer. In fact, we have 11 known psalms that were attributed to Asaph, the psalmist. And then if you study the book of Ezra and Chronicles and you look at some of the genealogies and the list that follow that, you're going to find that the singers in Israel call themselves the sons of Asaph. And so he kind of was the forefather of worship. And so Asaph, we would recognize then because of his uh, writing in the Psalms and the fact that he has a lineage of songwriters after him, we would recognize that Asaph is a leader in Israel and uh, he is a godly man, a spiritual man. Uh, he is someone that you would go to for counsel, for advice. Uh, much of what he writes in the word of God uh, is helpful to us even today. And so Asaph is a good man, a godly man, a spiritual man, a leader. And so we begin in verse number one, the Bible says, Truly God is good to Israel. Truly God is good. I mentioned in the morning service uh, that uh, I would go into the prison and, and preach every Thursday uh, out in Texas. And I would always start that service with the prisoners and I'd say, God is good. And they would say, God is good. And they'd say all the time. And I, then I'd respond back, all the time. And that's how we start. Appreciate those of you that are out of prison with us today. What a blessing. But uh, God is good. So Asaph starts off with God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. Uh, but as for me, we transitioned right there. God is good. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth about them as a chain. Violence covered them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return thither and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them and they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain, washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus before I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. 
Heavenly Father, if I know my heart, I do want to be a help this morning. I don't want to waste time, Brother Stephen's time, the people's time, most of all your time. I'm away from my children and our church, and uh, Lord, it's good to be away, and I recognize that, but Lord, I don't want to waste this opportunity. Someone's here this morning with a heavy burden, loaded down with cares and trials and difficulties in life. Maybe somebody's here that even questions if there is a God in heaven. Perhaps there's a lost person here that doesn't know you as Savior. Heavenly Father, would you please use this pitiful preacher to be a blessing to the most people possible. Bless our church at home, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Asaph recognizes, if you're taking notes, you can write that down, the the recognition of Asaph, Asaph's recognition, number one, he recognizes the great fact God is good. Now, we would all agree with that. You wouldn't probably be in church on a Sunday morning in a rainy, cold day if you did not believe that God is good. God is good. God is good to his people. And, and as you grow, the Bible says uh, that they who have a clean heart, the closer you draw to God, the better he see, seems. We sing the old song, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. When you get saved, you think, man, that's wonderful. My, my sin is forgiven. My guilt is gone. The mercy of God. I'm not going to get what I deserve, hell. And in fact, I get the grace of God. All the blessings of Christ Jesus belong to me. And you thought, man, it can't get any better than that. And then you begin to read and study and draw close to him. And you realize, man, God is good. I'm not a singer. You can tell by this voice. That is not where you say amen. You wait till I tell you where, you don't say amen till I tell you where to say amen. We sing the little song, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Isn't it interesting you start having a bad day and you start realizing how good God's been? Man, we're here this morning. We're up and around, we're out. Why, I mean, God's been good. I want to count my blessings. I know that to be true. I know that to be true. I've preached that for 30 years. I believe that. Man, the Bible says that. And Asaph recognized God is good. Now you can say it. Amen. You know that. I know that. We teach our children that. Pastor teaches that. We know that. That's a fact. That's an eternal fact that God is good. But it's a conjunction. He states a fact, and then he's going to transition. I know God is good, but as for me, the leader, if you don't think leaders struggle just like you struggle, you, you don't understand humanity. There's no temptation taking you, but such as common to men. The pastor, the leader, the spiritual man, the spiritual woman, doesn't matter who you are, there are times that we struggle. But you just preach the message that God is good. Yeah, but as for me, some days you struggle and I struggle. Something happens. Our hearts are broken. Situations in our family situation in our, in our lives, in our churches, and all of a sudden we wonder, is God good? He said, as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. He said, I know God is good, but man, I'm slipping. I'm falling. I'm almost gone. 
I've tied a rope at the end of the, I've tied a knot at the end of the rope and it's starting to fray. I have very little to hold on to. Number two, reality. Asaph's recognition, God is good. Asaph's reality, but, but. And then he begins to break down all of the reasons why he's struggling so much. He, he, he looks around in verse 3, and he's envious when he sees the prosperity of the wicked. I hope you tithe, I hope you give, and boy, I trust you do that. That's a biblical principle. But sometimes you tithe and you give and, and you do right, and, and you look around, and, and that sorry, low-down, reprobate neighbor of yours just got a brand-new truck. I mean, it's not just any truck. It's jacked up. It's tricked out. I mean, it is a truck of trucks. And you're like, he doesn't love God. He doesn't serve God. His wife's a terrible lady. And here my wife, she barely gets by. We drive this old beater. We give to the church. We serve. And look at him. The way that I do it is I look at them liberals. Because I'm a conservative, bless the Lord, you know. Them liberals. Look at their churches. Look at their cars. Look at their, apparently there's a website for Tennis shoes are preachers. I don't know what that is, but look at that. They're buying all these nice clothes and all these nice things. And here we are, uh, barely getting by. Boy, envious of the wicked in their prosperity. And then he goes down, verse number four. Not only was he envious of them, but then he said, look, they have no consequence for sin. Verse number four said that there, there, there are no bands in their death. They, they live a good life. Their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men. My son is 17, wonderful child. I love him some days. My son gets in trouble. He says, man, I can't do anything without getting caught. And mama says, because I'm praying. I'm praying that God will not let you get away with it. And man, he steps out of it. He said, all these other kids get away with it, and I get in trouble for everything. Sometimes I feel like that as a Christian, don't you? But I step a little bit out of bounds, and God's like, no, no, no. And then I look, and I'm like, they're getting away with murder, literally getting away with murder. God, what are you doing? I, I get in trouble for everything. They live like the devil. Asaph, he's seeing the wicked are successful. Verse 6 says they're full of pride. I told the early service, man, it used to be uh, what we did in secret, we now do publicly and we flaunt our pride to God. We march down the street and say, look at me, I'm going to sin willfully and blatantly. No shame, no blush, no remorse. And, and, and Asaph's just, just looking at all this stuff. By the way, that's, that was uh, all those years ago. Could you imagine if Asaph was looking around today? Social media, the Grammys, television, movie. I mean, he would be like, oh, my word. How much worse has it gotten? They're in open rebellion, verse 8. They're blaspheming with their lips. I'm telling you, from the point of view of Asaph and times where I've been there, when I look around and see everything going on, I question I hurt. And he begins to, to really, in his own heart, struggle. And so he says in verse number 11, he says, do you know? Have I washed my hands in innocency? He questions whether or not God knows. In verse 12, he questions whether or not God's fair. 
In verse 14, he questions not whether God even knows he's alive. Does God have a plan? In, in verse number uh, uh, 15, he begins to question even him on, his own self. He said, if I speak, I'm going to speak and say something that will hurt somebody. Now, none of y'all have ever been where Asaph was. Yes, you have. You've been in the place where you've said to God, that's not fair. That's not right. Why me? Why our family? Why our church? I'm the only one doing right. Why am I suffering? I'm the only one in my whole family doing right. Why am I going through it? I don't deserve this, God. Do you even know I'm here? Do you care? Now, as you look at this, I find myself here much more than I'd like to admit. Brother Stephen and I are on social media some, and uh, about two years ago, I got off Twitter. I just said, I can't take this anymore. It seemed like every tweet was a negative tweet. Everything I saw was hurting my spirit, and I just said, I, I can't do that anymore. I mean, I, I'm, 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 I look to the right of me, man, what's going on? Look to the left of me going on, look in front of me, what's going on? I look all around me, and I get discouraged. And it looks like things are just out of control. And that's where Asaph was. And if we left here in verse number 16, we would really say, Good night. We'd almost conclude like Solomon, vanity of vanity. All is vanity. What a waste. To serve God is a waste. To be at church is a waste. To give is a waste. To go is a waste. But that's not where the passage stops. And that's not where you can stop. Because in verse number 16, Asaph is questioning himself. He's questioning God. He's questioning his existence. He is lost. But in verse 17, the Bible says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou casteth them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awaketh. Oh, so, oh Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holding me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive, the glory, uh, receive uh, me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire but thee. My flesh and my heart faileth but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Until I got to the sanctuary. Number three, write this down, Asaph's revival. What changed? Did the community get better? Did the, did the circumstances get better? Did all of a sudden the world develop a moral compass? Did all of a sudden uh, the president 
get out of office and a new president get in, that all of a sudden uh, all the trouble in the world get taken care of, that anything changed, nothing external changed. God is not going to change the circumstances of this world because this world is destined to destruction. It's going to wax worse and worse. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And God is not going to change the world. But God desperately wants to change you and I in this world. And it was until he got to church. And it wasn't the building, because dear friend, if you're coming to this building looking for a pastor who won't disappoint you, he doesn't plan to, he doesn't intend to, but humans are humans. It's not the pastor, it's not the singing, it's not the building, it's not the people. It is the God of heaven who lives and reigns above this place. We don't come to church for any other reason but to get a fresh glimpse of a holy God and what he's done for us and what he'll do for us. You come not to look around but to look upwards into the heaven. Every song, every service, every preaching message ought to be to point men to a God in heaven who loves them so much that he died for them and gave himself for them and offers them eternal life. Spurgeon said this, as Asaph entered the sanctuary, he entered into the eternity where God dwells. As in a holy place, he left the things of sense for the things invisible. His heart gazed within the veil. He stood where the thrice holy God stands. Thus he shifted his point of view. Apparent disorder resolved itself into harmony. Gil writes, the tabernacle of the house of God where the word of God was read and explained. Prayer was made. Sacrifices were offered. Fellowship was had with the saints. Communion with God himself, which for the hour or moment is preferable to all the prosperity of the wicked during their whole life. When his mind moved from earthly to eternal, from the circumstances of life to the certainties of God's word, from the world around him to the word itself, it did not change his circumstances, it changed him. He saw a swift and sudden punishment for the lost. Oh, dear lost friend, mark it down. It is appointed unto man once to die and immediately after this to judgment. And Asaph knew that God would send his wrath at some point and those that were flaunting God and mocking God and blaspheming God would give an account to that God and be held in judgment. Sure and steadfast preservation for the saved. All that good hand of God that guides him. Secure path that leads the righteous, verse 24. The presence of God, verse 25. The protection of God, verse 26. The perishing of the lost world, verse 27. All of a sudden, he said, oh, this temporal pleasure, this temporal life will give way to eternity. Corey ten Boom was a Holocaust survivor. Many of you read the book, The Hiding Place. She wrote this, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look inward, you'll be depressed. But if you look to the Lord, you'll be at rest. So many of you today, so many of my people today, so many times myself, we look around and we look around and we look around and it's just bombarding us from every angle. 
We are so overly stimulated, we cannot find time to rest. The television, the radio, the podcast, the books, the audibles, uh, the social media, uh, the world is just inundated us. Bad news after bad news. I tell my people all the time, turn off the news. Fox News, CNN, NBC, turn it all off. Get off Facebook, get off Twitter, get off Instagram, get off TikTok because the Chinese are watching. Get off everything and, and, and realize that if you spend so much time in the world, it cannot help but bring you down. But get yourself to the sanctuary, to the place where God is. Spend time with the Lord and all of a sudden you'll be transformed from the earthly to the eternal. Too many of us live in the nasty now and now. We forgot all about the blessing of the sweet by and by. As long as he looked at the world or himself, he was cast down. But when we went to the sanctuary, when we went to the sanctuary, the place where the word of God is preached, the word of God shows us the God of the world, the word. We preach the gospel to the lost. Preach the gospel to yourself. Be reminded over and over what it was to be saved. The old gypsy, Gypsy Smith said this, if you ever get over the wonder of it all. They said, Gypsy, how do you stay so happy? How do you stay so joyful with all the troubles and trials of life? And the old Gypsy said, I never got over that God would reach down and save an old Gypsy boy like me. Oh, some of you, dear friend, you've been saved a long time and I rejoice with you on that, but you have got over the wonder of transformational salvation. We ought to wallow in the gospel. Preach it to the lost, but preach it to ourselves that God saved us. Be reminded of the good things that God has promised us. So I said, oh, to Adrian Rogers, Brother Rogers, the world is falling apart. And Brother Rogers, Brother Rogers said, no, dear friend, the world is falling in place. It's not coming apart, it's coming to Jesus. How much time have you spent in the world Versus in the word. Twist your thinking. How do you think people that once walked with God and spent time with God and lived for God and honored God and served God, how do you think they got so off track? I tell you what happened. They got more at home in this world than in the world to come. They spent more time on the things of earth than the things eternal. And Asaph said, listen, I know God is good, but right now my reality is clouded because of all the difficulties, so I've got to get back to the sanctuary. I've got to get back to the safe place. I've got to get back to the word of God and spend time in his presence and worship the God of heaven. And all of a sudden, everything changed. Nothing about his circumstances changed, but everything about him in his circumstances changed. And then he finishes. Verse number 28, he makes a concluding statement. Aren't you glad when preachers make concluding statements? I make a lot of them. And mean none of them. But he said, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. We said his First of all, Asaph, the great psalmist, the great psalm writer. We said Asaph is, what, what was the first one? I forgot. His recognition, thank you. 
God is good. His reality is, no, not all the time. Troubles and trials, difficulties. His revival came when he got to church, got to the house of God. Some of you know the story. I won't go into a lot of detail. It's been so, it's been ongoing so long now and social media, Facebook's been so good about keeping up. But some of you know that back in uh, 2020, my daughter began to reject her her heart transplant. She had a heart transplant when she was about seven, eight months old. And about three years ago, she began to reject that heart transplant. And we were in the hospital. While we're in the hospital, uh, I can't even go through all the details, but while we're in the hospital, we had just come out of a very difficult season in our church. Uh, there had been some accusations made against a staff member, and it had really set our church back. We had just moved to a new property. We were trying to be in a building program. COVID hit. My daughter's in the hospital fighting for her life. And right in the middle of that, my music director just up and quits and goes and takes another church. I'm not bitter. I'm just, I hate this guy. But uh, 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 we're in the middle of a building program, COVID. Uh, my wife had some physical things. Our children were going through some things. We had two kids get married during all this time. This was a lot. And then my daughter gets so sick. And I just remember thinking, and I'm not, listen, I'm not Ace if I don't even, I couldn't hold a pencil for Ace to write the songs. But I remember thinking, God, this seems like a lot. And I'm giving you the, the short version of it. There's some more that I wouldn't go into now. But I remember thinking, God, this seems like a lot for one person, one husband and wife. We, 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 we started the orphanage and, and the helps ministry and, and we pastor and, and, we, and my kids and, and the church and my daughter. I mean, Lord, I, and there was, a, there was about three nights, Valerie. Oh, it's my beautiful wife, Valerie, right here. About three nights where there was touch and go with her. About three nights where I don't do well in the hospital. My wife does very well. I don't do well. Just, just give me overview. Don't give me details. And, and I always ask the doctor, I say, AK, he's our main doctor. I said, do I worry a five or a one? Five is the worst. One is the easiest. And most of the time, these last seven years, it's been one or two, you know. And this time he said, preacher, it's a four going to five. We're, we're really concerned. She was on... Um, I think she was on three or four big machines. She had two different trees, and uh, it, was, it was taking all her blood out and cleaning and dialysis, and there was just a lot going on. My wife can give you all the details. And uh, I, I, get, I, get, uh, I get tight. I get real tight. And, and Valerie, she recognized that. She said, you're not doing me any good. You're not doing the baby any good. You need to leave. And so I left. I went to our building. Our building had walls up. Uh, it had a ceiling, but it didn't have any floors, just the block wall. We're in the middle of the project. And I remember just walking around and around and around and around and around and around that building. And I would like to tell you that I was praying. I'd like to tell you that I was just communing with God and telling God how good he was and how awesome he was and, and that, God, you make no mistakes and you do all things well. And those are all things I believe and all things I know. But, but that conversation was not me telling God how good he was. That was me asking God why. Why we adopted this girl out of medical foster care, parents, drug addicts. I mean, why, why, why? And I, I just kept going on and on and on. I was there for several hours. I have no, long, no idea how long. But along the way, the Lord gave me a piece of a verse. He did not give me the first part of the verse because I didn't like the first part. The first part of the verse says, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And I didn't like that part because we were on those hours where there was a very real chance she was going to not make it. But the second part of the verse says, blessed be the name of the Lord. And I, I wouldn't quote the first part because I, I wasn't willing at that moment to say it's okay for him to take her. But I did begin to quote and I just, I wasn't praying anymore and I wasn't complaining anymore. I was walking around the building saying, blessed 
be the name of the Lord. And tears were falling down my face. And I just kept saying, blessed be the name of the Lord. And, and I walked around long enough before uh, it finally just settled into me that everything was going to be okay. God was going to be glorified no matter what. And for the next year, as we went through this process, eight months, 200 something days in the hospital, whenever it'd get real bad, I'd just stop and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, God didn't change our situation. She still had to have a heart and we still had to have surgery and all those things. But God settled me down. Because watch this, here's the most important thing I'm gonna say today. It is not what you think or feel in the moment to be true. It is what you know about God. Because your senses are going to fail you. Your feelings are going to just frustrate you. And you're going to think and feel some crazy things. I'm embarrassed to tell you sometimes what I think about God. What I think about, what I feel. I'm embarrassed to even admit that I have some of the most, what I would consider heretical or blasphemous thoughts about God at times. And yet, it is not what I think or feel in moments of fear or frustration or anger or hurt or embarrassment. It is always what I know to be true about God. And what Asaph had to do was come out of his feelings, come out of his emotion, come out of his thinking, and go back and solidify himself in the center of the word of God. This book lives and abides forever. Heaven and earth is going to pass away, but his word is going to remain. And so when your feelings get funky and your emotions get all over the place and you get to thinking some weird thoughts, stop and get back to the sanctuary, to where God is, to where his word is, and say, God, I know I feel this way and I know I think this, but I know you to be true. Number one, and I'm done. At no other time in history, Daddy, has your family needed you to draw nigh to God like they need you to draw nigh to God right now. I did not realize this. Pastor, you can speak to this. As much as COVID affected adults, I had no understanding until I began to really study it out. My kids were petrified. They've never been through anything. They've never suffered. We, most of us that have lived any length of time, we've gone through a few things. My kids had never been through, none of us had ever been through anything like this. So my kids' first experience with a major issue in life was the shutdown of the world as they know it. They needed me to say, God's still on the throne. Everything's all right. We're going to serve God whether, whether we wear a mask or not, whether we can meet like we normally can or not. We're, we're going to, God's not thrown by this. And, and I would bring up the fact that the church around the world has always met under difficult situations. They've always flourished when things are worse. And so, Dad, your family needs you right now. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. They need Daddy to know God. Your wife needs you, and she's unsure. Mama, your husband needs you to be that rock. We all know the man is the head of the house, right? The wife's the neck. If the neck turns, the head follows. And listen, Mama, you need more than any other time in your life to be close to God. Your husband needs to draw strength to you because he's battling over here and your husband needs you to, to be his supporter and the wife, you are such a part of that and husband to the wife and then to the children. Well, they got a good pastor. They need a good mom and daddy that know God. And then church, this is the time 
to draw close, not pull apart. So much the more as we see the day approaching, not so much the less. Asa's responsibility, draw close. Number two, I have put my trust in the Lord God. Draw close. Number two, trust him. When you cannot trace him, when you cannot follow him, you can trust him. God does all things well. He doesn't do it on my time or my way, but he does it well. God's never failed me. He has literally scared me to death a time or two, but he's never failed me. He's the covenant-keeping God. It doesn't matter if I keep my part of the deal or not. God always keeps his word. I can trust him no matter what. And though he slay me, yet can I trust him. Boy, when you got a little girl that you love to the moon and back, can I trust you in this? And there's, there's battles in there. And I'm not going to lie to you, that wasn't easy. And I still think I deal with a little bit of a, like a PTSD. She gets a sniffle and I'm freaking out. Can I trust him? I can trust him. I certify as a man who's been saved over 50 years and have walked with God for the last 33 years. You can trust him. He does all things well. Oh, young people, if I could ever get you to miss the world and get hold of the word, you can trust him no matter what happens in life. And then thirdly, Asaph says, that I may declare him to others. All thy works... If you think you're struggling, if you think you're going through a bad time, if you think that you're unsure, what about a person who doesn't know Christ? What about a person that doesn't have the word of God? What about a person who sees this world and says, oh, what's happening? We see this world and say, yes, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's telling us that it's unfolding exactly as prophecy has promised. They need people to come to work tomorrow, not with a giant family Bible and banging them over the head, but with a confidence in God and joy and sorrow and trust that outweighs feelings or fears. And they say, what's different about you? I'll tell you what's different, dear friend. I know the living God of heaven. They need you. Uh, my wife is, will testify to this story. This is a true story. I told in the morning service, I'll be done with this. I go to Dunkin' Donuts a lot. Not for the donuts. I know I'm fat, but it's not the donuts. I'm a coffeeaholic. Sister, go ahead. Go to Dunkin' Donuts. They, I'm driving down the road one day, and they, 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 they had a sign that went out that said, coming soon. And I, I remember my house to work, they had a sign in between, about halfway, literally. It said, coming soon. I said, dear Lord, Please let that be a Dunkin' Donut. And man, I drove back a few days later and they, they said, coming soon, Dunkin' Donuts. And I said, the Lord loves me. He loves all of us. For God so loved the world, he just loves me more than y'all. Put a Dunkin' Donuts in. I go by, not every day, but most every day, and I do the mobile app order. So I pull through and they say, what you got? And I say, on the go order for John. And oh, come around, preacher. Well, come on. And I pulled around one day and uh, this older lady she looked at me and she said, you're a preacher, right? And I said, well, yes, ma'am. I give them tracks and stuff. I don't know. She said, he needs to talk to you. Well, he is not a he, but it's a, it's a she who wants to be a he. And uh, 
and uh, he needs to talk to you. And I'm like, sure, here's my number, give him my number. Has it been two and a half years? Two years I've been dealing with this young lady uh, brought out of her, an orphanage in Romania, abuse, a, a horrible, horrible situation, multiple attacks, multiple violations. Trust is gone. I mean, just the most, abs- in all my years of ministry, I've never dealt with such a confused person to the point now that she wants to become he. And we've been down two years. And in the text stream, and my wife will tell you, in the text stream, over, not once, not twice, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 times, why do you care about me? Why do you waste your time with me? She's told me she's come to church a hundred times, never showed up one time. She's told me a thousand things, never followed through, over and over, but I just keep waiting and I answer, am I lying, honey? Hundreds of texts. Do you hate me? Are you mad at me? Are you going to give up on me? Are you going to leave me? Why do you do I mean, just, oh, it just, it's mentally mind-numbing. But the one that drives me the most crazy is, why do you care? And I've tried to explain to her that somebody cared for me. And when I, when I was a mess, man, the, the, the Lord was good to send people in my life. And, and I've tried to explain. And, man, I, I've tried and tried and tried to witness her. I've got another lady that's working with me. My son and daughter-in-law are working with me. My wife's, we're, we're all ministering, trying to win this girl to Christ. And, and she, she has not come to church one time until I got on a plane to fly to Greenville, South Carolina to preach at the marriage retreat for Bible Baptist Church. And she showed up for church Wednesday night. And I wasn't there. I don't care that I wasn't there. They sent me a text of her and the lady that we're working together with. And I told her, I'm so proud of you. She sent me back. She said, it wasn't bad. <laughs> she said, it wasn't bad. She said, I didn't feel uncomfortable. She said, I'm going to come back. Dear friend, watch me. If you get caught up in your feelings and your thinking, you're going to get drawn away. But if you'll get back to the word of God and, and to walk with him and to worship him. I mean, these songs were just wonderfully chosen songs. I love every song you sang this morning. And just to worship our God and, and to draw close to him and to trust him and then to declare him to others. Well, preacher, we live in Greenville, South Carolina. Everybody's saved. You know that's not true. There's a lot of religious people who are lost as a ball in high weeds. And they've never come to faith in Christ. Daddy was a Baptist. Mama was a Baptist. Everybody's a Baptist. And they're going to be Baptists burning in hell because they've never come to faith in Christ. They don't have something real. They don't have something genuine. They have, they have religion. They don't have relationship. And they need somebody to say, trust me, it's real. You can trust him when you cannot trace him. It's not what you think about God. It's not what you feel about God in those moments of discouragement and hurt and wound. It's what you know to be true about God. And God is good. All the time. 